President Biden kills the Keystone Pipeline and we evaluate American energy independence. This is Brief Before Impact. This is Brief Before Impact. I'm your host, Matt Parker. Welcome, everyone, to episode number six. Looking forward to jumping into tonight's episode. I'm sure you've all seen at least uh, an article or a headline about recently with President Biden canceling the Keystone Pipeline. And there's been plenty of reporting on the domestic side of what that will look like for whether it's climate change or you know, blue-collar jobs and so forth. has been plenty of reporting domestically on this, but it spurred me into wanting to know more about America's energy independence. Where do we currently stand as a country with our energy imports, exports, that being both you know, clean energy, crude oil, natural gas, etc.? And so after diving into this, I thought there's a real good opportunity to um, provide some value to the listeners of this podcast. And so what we're going to do is dive into a couple of key points. One, we're just going to give a quick overview. You know, what do imports and exports look like for our uh, oil and gas uh, scene here in the United States? Secondly, we're going to kind of describe the differences between you know, energy security and energy independence, as those are two very much different things. And third, we'll also talk about the Iranian threat. I feel like you can't talk about the Middle East oil without you know, talking about Iran. And then we'll finish up with highlighting the importance of energy independence and what that means for American leverage by forwarding our national uh, foreign policy objectives abroad. But before we jump into the episode, let's take a quick ad break and then we'll get started. All right, welcome everyone. Let's get right into this. I wanted to describe where we are in terms of oil imports and oil exports, including natural gas as well. So according to Energy Information Administration data, the United States imported an average of roughly 1 million barrels of oil per day from various Persian Gulf countries through the first 10 months of 2019. And that's an amount that constitutes about 5% of overall domestic oil consumption. So not surprisingly, the dependence on Persian Gulf crude has been on a distinctly downward trajectory in recent years. That trajectory decline has become steeper during the Trump administration. So if you think about all the looking back 2016, 2020, Iran was almost the number one enemy outside of China, at least according to the Trump administration. You know, we hit them with a ton of economic sanctions and certainly even had a few um, kinetic conflicts uh, being that. Iran is certainly the largest state sponsor of terrorism. So shouldn't be too doubtful that why there's that downward trajectory in a Persian Gulf crude. But that being said, during that same period of time from January 2017 to October 2019, U.S. domestic oil production rose. And this is kind of what we're going to discuss a little more in depth tonight of where does that what does that look like domestically in our stance with the oil production here in the United States? So again, according to the Energy Information Administration, in 2011, the United States became a net exporter of petroleum products for the first time since 1949. In 2017, the United States became a net exporter of natural gas for the first time since the late 1950s. Lastly, in 2019, U.S. total annual energy exports exceeded total and annual energy imports for the first time in 67 years, and the United States became a net total energy exporter. So let's think about a few of those dates, 1949, late 50s, you know, 67 years. These are 
decades that the United States has been importing far more oil and natural gas than ever before. And recently, in the last, what is this, seven, five to 10 year time frame, we've totally flipped that scenario. If you remember, for the longest period of time, it was always about Middle East and oil and being tied to uh, Middle Eastern uh, producers for our oil and consumption needs. Now, in the last five to 10 years, we've totally, as, as a country, have just flipped 180 degrees and been able to begin exporting and being a net exporter of uh, energy, which is an incredible feat to say the least. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to dive into the the landscape domestically, how that all works. That's certainly not my expertise, but I just want to put that forward in your mind. You may have not have known a little bit of that background. Uh, for example, I'm looking at a graph highlighting U.S. energy net imports by major sources, meaning oil, petroleum products, natural gas, and coal. And that timeline goes from 1950 to 2019. More or less, natural gas, uh, petroleum, and coal, they were pretty steady levels for decades. They had a couple of blips up and down here and there, but more or less, it kind of hung in the same, the same range. And then the last five to 10 years, it started to decrease. Now, that compared to oil, you look about the mid-70s, I mean, just a stark climb, a little bit of a dip, and then it just kept on going up. Uh, all the way up until about 2005, 2006 time range. And then it looks just like a falling off of a cliff of those those oil imports uh, into the United States. So again, it just reflects the data that the United States has really become that energy exporter for the first time in the last five to 10 years, which is a big deal, which brings us to what does that mean for American security and energy security and energy independence? Because we want to we want to make a distinction between the two. Uh, I thought this was illustrated quite well by uh, David Blackman at Forbes by stating the U.S. still has a compelling national security interest in ensuring the free flow of oil through the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz through which most Middle East oil tanker traffic must move. That key checkpoint, excuse me, that key choke point, the Strait of Hormuz, is surrounded by Iran and Iraq to the north and the United Arab Emirates and Oman on the Arabian Peninsula to the south. All of those countries, along with Saudi Arabia, export substantial quantities of crude through the Strait of Hormuz. So the United States is not energy independent, but there is no doubt that its rapid rise in domestic oil production and exports have made it and the rest of the world far more energy secure than it was the case just a few short years ago. So he listed off a few countries here. If you think about your Middle Eastern geography and your history lesson here, uh, let's start with Iran and Iraq. Iran, 2003 cents, hasn't been the most stable place in the world. Iran, um, they chant death to America all day. For example, these are I'm just making some general statements here. Now, a few countries you might not be nearly as familiar with, United Arab Emirates and Oman. Uh, these, again, are on the Arabian Peninsula. So across uh, the, um, I'm just pulling up a map to give you some idea here. You have Iran, this massive country to the north. Iran has a little sliver into the Persian Gulf, and then the Saudi Arabia Peninsula just dominates this whole southern part of the landscape into the Persian Gulf, into the Gulf of Oman. And then you have a few smaller countries, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, etc. So all these countries uh, have a, a stake in the Strait of Hormuz, which I believe I read it right. It was like 20 kilometers wide, which 
you can walk that fairly quickly. Uh, it's not, I mean, you can take that in a couple of hours. It's not going to take that long to walk across to get that in your mind. So this isn't a particularly wide area that a lot of traffic is coming through and out. So the United States has a, a tremendous um, role in providing security to it. And even though U.S. domestic oil production has risen, uh, that certainly doesn't necessarily make us completely independent or even energy secure um, across the board. So coming back to the article, U.S. producers have also demonstrated the ability to rapidly increase America's oil production in response to any significant increase in commodity prices. And this is particularly key. If there was a, let's give an example, uh, say even a physical conflict, a a conflict between two of these nation states or multiple of these nation states, um, commodity prices, obviously oil and natural gas would most likely immediately rise. We've seen that whether it's a a small or larger instance, the United States can begin rapidly increasing a domestic production in order to respond to those prices. This gives us a great leverage, um, especially maintaining our own prices here at home. Now, at the end of the day, as we have seen in the modest crude prices, response to recent major conflict escalations in the Middle East, all of these factors combined to create a much more stable situation for global crude markets than existed in the recent past. So highlighting again, the U.S. is not energy independent, but it is vastly more energy secure than it has been. And that higher level of U.S. energy security has resulted in a more secure world. So if you have any interest in how you know, our uh, allies or even our own military is utilized or deployed throughout the world, it benefits us just as average Americans paying our taxes that we as a country are more energy secure. So... Hit that nail home. Let's talk about Iran and why they are kind of a, a linchpin to this whole situation in the Middle East. Uh, you know, conflict escalation or even uh, the affecting the price of global crude. So this is why I wanted to hit. Well, you know, what does it matter? Let's talk briefly about how much oil production Iran is pro- uh, providing. According to NPR, Iran's daily oil production is about four million barrels compared to 15 million for the U.S. But about a third of the world's oil passed through the Strait of Hormuz in 2018, and more than a quarter of the world's supply of natural gas passes through it as well. A third of the world's oil and a fourth of the world's natural gas passes through the Strait of Hormuz. So I think it's fair to say this this little strip of water is rather important uh, for the United States, and more importantly, you know, just to broadly the regional stability and across the world. This is why uh, it's discussed so much, and uh, this is why we want to talk about tonight's episode. Focusing in on the American military in this area, particularly the Strait of Hormuz, according to Crisis Group, in recent years, the U.S. and Iranian navies have had numerous tense encounters in the Persian Gulf, where 30% of the world's seaborne trade crude oil passes through the Strait of Hormuz every day. An intentional or inadvertent incident at sea could quickly escalate into a direct military confrontation and risk shipping through the critical energy choke point. So you may ask, why is the U.S. Navy actually patrolling there? U.S. naval presence in international waters in support of its regional allies 
and to secure energy flows will not be ending anytime soon. Given the nature of the narrow waterway, with shipping lanes in either direction only two miles wide, the and rising tensions, incidents are almost unavoidable. So basically, despite the growth in U.S. domestic oil production, that doesn't diminish the importance of this, this naval choke point, and this is why the U.S. Navy patrols there. And this is why it's such a critical area to keep an eye on uh, from you know, a strategic perspective and then maintaining those, um, the stability of this commodity and our relationships with our allies in the area. Now, according to Insider Arabia, military vessels from numerous countries have gathered in the, in the Strait of Hormuz as a result of growing strains between Iran and the U.S., so if you think about the last couple of years, there have been a few incidents that were reported in the news between American and Iranian navies. So a few countries, uh, particularly from the EU, uh, their eight European Union members got together and said, here's what we're going to do to try to maintain stability as well. So January 2020, eight European Union member countries, they are Denmark, Belgium, France, Greece, Germany, Italy, Portugal, and the Netherlands. They all agreed to set up a new force to patrol the Strait of Hormuz. They aimed to prevent seizures or sabotage of oil tankers by Iranian vessels. So they are trying to deter Iranian vessels from seizing or sabotaging oil tankers. Iran has threatened to stop the movement of ships and tankers along this narrow water passage numerous times in an effort to retaliate, retaliate against the West, particularly the United States. So you're asking why do these eight countries, including and also the United States, why do they patrol this area? And why does Iran want to seize oil or sabotage oil tankers? It isn't in an effort to retaliate against the West, particularly the United States, who has hammered them with economic sanctions. So the threat level increased after the U.S. admitted that it assassinated powerful Iranian military commander Qassam Soleimani on January 7th. So Soleimani, just from some little background perspective, he is like the... Iranian Secretary of Defense and Director of CIA put together. It was a very powerful position. He led and directed multiple hundreds of terrorist attacks throughout the region. That's why he was targeted by the United States. So we come and kind of bring this full circle here. Because he was such a threat to regional stability, the United States decided to assassinate him. Therefore, Iran's Navy decided to begin uh, attempting to seize or sabotage oil tankers to retaliate against the United States and the West in the Strait of Hormuz. So there's that context of why this area with a third of the oil and a fourth of natural gas passing through it in 2018 is so important and why it's such a key place uh, for so many countries. So if to give a little more instance of why Iran has you know a, a fight I should say a dog in this fight, particularly in this area. Uh, Saudi Arabia, just across the Gulf, is uh, an American ally, has been a big American ally in the region for years. And they are a direct enemy of Iran. So the Saudi Defense Ministry said that 18 drones hit the Abqaiq oil processing facility, the world's largest processing facility, oil processing facility. And four cruise missiles struck the Karais oil field on September 14, 2019. So 18 drones hit 
the largest oil processing facility for cruise missiles, struck an oil field September 2019. Saudi Defense Ministry spokesman Colonel Malkik told reporters in Riyadh a few days later, quote, this attack did not originate from Yemen, despite Iran's best efforts to make it appear so. Their collaboration with their proxy in the region to create this false narrative is clear. The attack was launched from the north and was unquestionably sponsored by Iran. So you have the U.S. able to create more domestic oil production. We're now a net exporter of energy, oil, natural gas, etc. You have a third of the world's oil, a fourth of the world's natural gas passing through this small sliver of Strait of Hormuz, surrounded by multiple countries, many who are direct enemies of each other, and whose GDP is dominated by oil production. Dominated is, I don't even know if that's the right word. It is almost only, it's, it's driving so many of these countries' GDP. If they didn't have oil, they wouldn't be anything in terms of their economic production. You have the United States doubling down with economic sanctions, and in some instances, uh, kinetic conflicts directly against Iran. Iran responds by attempting to sabotage or seize, seize oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz. So the European Union, countries in the West, and the United States work to prevent and deter those types of attacks. So you can see this balance between all these multiple interest groups. I'm saying interest groups, and that's what nation states are. They have their own economic interest. They're trying to defend. Yes, they work together. Obviously, the case of the European Union is an easy one. But um, all these different nation states are trying to balance, provide balance and stability to a region with, against, I should say, uh, aggressors in the area who equally have their own interest to produce oil and ship it abroad. So it is a an area that has a high level, in my opinion, a high level of either a very much intentional incident or even an inadvertent incident that could lead quickly into a direct military confrontation. And this is the challenge and the balancing game that all these countries are trying to play. Keep this energy resource moving in and out of the area without getting into a, a, a fight, basically. All right, so I think we've nailed this one down with Iran, its threat to the area and why it's so important. Moving on and kind of concluding with the importance of energy independence and how that can be leveraged. Now, according to Emily Folk at The Ecologist, energy independence also boasts possible geopolitical benefits. The United States imports most of its energy from country, from countries where political tensions run high. For example, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, China, and Russia are all huge exporters of energy, and this has put the United States in more than one awkward position over the years. In addition to the amount of defense money spent protecting U.S. oil interest abroad, relying on foreign oil has prevented the U.S. and other countries from intervening in conflicts around the world. Europe's lack of intervention when Russia annexed Crimea is just one example of energy stability influencing foreign policy decisions for the worst. Energy independence could free the United States from fear of trade retaliation when making foreign policy decisions. This would make it easier for the U.S. and other energy independent countries to boycott or otherwise intervene in unjust systems and governments. It would also give other oil producers you know, more claim over their own energy 
So I wanted to drive home the point that this isn't merely about keeping gas prices levels, you know, floating around two or three dollars in the United States. That's how we as the consumer feel about it, because that affects, you know, our kind of bottom line and our, our pocket. But I wanted to put into this mo- your mind that energy independence and, and even energy security, there's a, a second and third order effects like, you know, dropping a rock into a water and it just ripples out more and more. This affects our allies. This affects how U.S. Um, works with our partners abroad, how we influence our trade abroad, how we uh, respond or choose not to respond in any type of military conflict. You know, energy stability, energy independence and security, they provide a great um, lever to pull on in forwarding America's foreign policy objectives. And this is where I'm going to kind of close out with some thoughts about how we could utilize this with a few key countries. If we as American citizens, if we would like just to see our military, I'm going to highlight the military for a moment. If we want to see the military utilized to directly protect our lives, you know, freedoms and interests, then in, in my opinion, we as an economic power should certainly continue to diversify our energy sources with the goal of becoming more energy de- dependent. Independent. Our energy independence will allow us to pull on other levers to promote our interest abroad rather than deploying our military to accomplish those goals. I've known, when I look at the map of the countries surrounding the Strait of Hormuz, I've known for, you know, current members of Special Forces and other Special Operations units who have deployed to, I want to say all these countries with the exception of, of Iran. So we have a presence there. I would imagine right now there are guys training, you know, Saudi Arabian forces or maybe even United Arab Emirates Special Forces counterparts on domestic security processes. So we're we're very much involved with this region of the world. And so when I think about how we utilize our military in that context, I want to make sure we as a as a nation have every ability to not lean on and depend on others for our energy in the event we were have to um, utilize our military in some kind of direct conflict. So I wanted to give just three quick examples of with energy independence and how we as a country would be able to you know, leverage that into benefiting and to affecting our, our partners around the world and our enemies around the world. Highlighting, according to uh, Ellen Wald, who is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Global Energy Center and also the president of Transversal Consulting. Ellen provides just three examples talking about Saudi Arabia, Russia, and China. And these are all in the context of you know, providing energy independence domestically and how that could affect us as Americans in our foreign policy objectives abroad. Starting with Saudi Arabia. Perhaps it is time to rethink or reorient America's commitment to Saudi Arabia's military defense, or the U.S. could use its new leverage, she's talking about leverage and energy independence, to push Saudi Arabia for greater concessions on human rights abuses and diplomatic assistance in improving Arab-Israeli relations. With, With Russia, we could certainly see that our natural gas strength could and should be our greatest asset in combating Russia's expanding power over Europe. 
we have an extraordinary opportunity to help Europe diversify its sources of energy so that it can't be held hostage to Russia in the future. Lastly and finally, China. China is the world's largest importer of oil and gas. Its manufacturing industry and growing consumer economy depend on foreign energy. Meanwhile, the U.S. is the largest producer of oil. Although China buys most of its fuel from Saudi Arabia and Russia, our control of more than 10% of the global supply should be a more important bargaining chip as the White House continues in the next stages of trade negotiations and pushes China on human rights concerns. So America's energy independence doesn't just necessarily benefit the energy sector. This isn't just about what it costs for a gallon at the tank, but more so how America can uh, affect and protect our interest abroad um, by having more energy independence. So that concludes tonight's episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining us. Looking forward to providing some more contact next week. Please let me know if uh, you like what we're producing. I hope you're certainly picking up what I'm putting down here. I am Matt Parker. This is Brief Before Impact. <laughs>